0: Please do not lose hope. I want to encourage you this morning. I want you to know that the living God, God has promises Jesus concerning you. you. May you take this not as from man, but from God. I want you to listen carefully to what your Savior has to say in John in John chapter fourteen. Jesus said, "Do not let your hearts be troubled." Do not let your hearts be troubled. In my father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, why would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will bring you to myself so that where I am, you will be also. It's that. now in heaven preparing a specific word for you so that you will be with him one day. Why am I speaking about all of this? Because I believe there is great relevancy concerning Genesis 48, concerning the person of Jacob. We have been in Genesis for a little while now and we are reaching the end. I want all of you with me to think about the life of the patriarch, Jacob. We started with um, Genesis uh, 28, all the way to, here we are now, Genesis 4, 28 to 48, how Jacob started out very brightly. Would you not say with me that his life for the past, at least 16 chapters have been quite disappointing, That he started out believing God, making the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, Trusting in him in battle that he will give Jacob a land and a people, and then he this is the same man who loved Rachel so much that seven years to him was considered as a few days. And then he rested with God, trusting in the blessing that God would give him. Then what happened? He became dejected, he became cranky, he became quick to lose hope. What happened to Jacob? where what happened to some of you, you have learned somehow to choose the path of despair. And why should that be the case? And that will not be the case for Jacob today in our text. Jacob of Genesis 48 is considered as the best Jacob, according to Hebrews 11. What would you say is the best act of faith from Jacob? Would it be wrestling with God? That was my assumption for most of my Christian walk, until I read Hebrews 11, verse uh, 21, I believe, where it is said that Jacob by faith blessed the sons of Joseph. And that, according to scripture, is the hallmark of his faith. So right here, we will meet the best Jacob again. So let's look with me in Genesis chapter 48. I need you to clue your eyes on the text because I will have no sections. I will just go through the verse and you will just follow with me. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. As soon as he uh, heard the news that his father is dying, Joseph finds it necessary um, to be hasty in bringing his sons to be blessed by his father. Now I want you to understand this. This whole thing of Joseph being prosperous in Egypt that this is not the end. It simply is the means that God may use the prosperity that Joseph has in Egypt in order to preserve his people. So this blessing to Joseph is not the icing on the cake that is Egypt, it is the cake. Therefore, it is extremely important for Joseph to bring the two sons to Jacob. Now imagine this uh, encounter between Jacob and Joseph and think about how monumental this event is for the original audience, the Jews, because the protagonist of the story, Joseph, is now meeting with the the patriarch of the faith. Because the second half of Genesis is all about Jacob's family, right? And now finally we have the two main characters meeting one another in a private manner. As Joseph is approaching that private chamber of the patriarch, we must know something extremely tremendous is about to happen. Now think about this. We recognize that they had a brief season of happiness together, but then sin happened. Years of suffering and hopelessness happened between the two of them. How would Jacob think of Joseph? The thoughts of Joseph would destroy Jacob. And any idea of Jacob would be nothing but like a lost paradise, the garden of Eden to Joseph tender memories forever buried because of sin. The thoughts of Jacob would fill Joseph with nothing but yearnings. But by the loving kindness of God, finally father and son are now in the same room together, face to face. Now look at uh, verse two. It was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Now notice this. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed we must take notice in the genius writing of Moses. He no longer called Jacob, Jacob. But from this point on and for the rest of this chapter, he will be referred to um, most of the the time as Israel. Because from this point on, he's no longer speaking as merely a father. He's speaking as the prophet of the upcoming nation of Israel. He will be speaking prophetically concerning the future, supernaturally, as the mouthpiece of God. And again, Jacob also saw how important this is. He summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God almighty appear to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and bless me. The meeting with Joseph brought back memories. He went all the way back to Genesis 28 when the God of the, of the covenant appeared to him for the first time, when God became his own. Christians, believers, do you remember when God Almighty first appeared to you? When you were first born again? When Jesus found you? Is there not something about old age that caused you know, old people to reflect a whole lot more than younger people? Amen. You know this. I mean, um, another old man in the New Testament, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8, this is one of his last um, recommend, recommendation Uh, toward uh, Timothy, the young man. He said, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, he who was preached in my gospel, the offspring of David. Even though I, Paul, I am bound as a criminal in prison, yet the word of God is not bound. That is the difference between Paul and Jacob for the last 22 uh, chapters. Paul was not quick to forget the God of the covenant. Therefore, he knows even though I am bound In this earthly circumstance, the word of God is not bowed. I will remember him. For as Jacob, he has been quick to forget the God of the covenants. Therefore, he has been in despair. And think about this, he's telling Timothy, a faithful pastor, to remember Jesus Christ. Timothy would have every right to say, Paul, I'm a Christian, of course I remember Jesus. But just like some of you, you are quick to serve Jesus but sometimes we can forget the Jesus that we serve. Do you remember Jesus Christ, whom saved you? I would say the best Christian I have met have always been the Christian who always acts like Jesus just died yesterday, resurrected today, and is coming back again tomorrow. Those are the, be- the best Christian. They act as if they just got saved yesterday. And they are wonderful because we know how it was for us when Jesus first saved us. It was beautiful in memory. So now, Jacob, recalling back to his younger days as he was running with Jehovah, saying, Joseph, first thing I must tell you, God Almighty appeared to me in battle in Luz, the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. Verse four, and he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you, two things, okay? A company of peoples, and I will give you this land. So, a promise concerning two things, a people and a land. To your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. But then his is the, this is where the business begins. This is the uh, reason for the meeting. And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine. Jacob is adopting the two sons of Joseph to be his own. I hope that we understand how huge this action is. Now ponder this. What was it about Esau that made life bitter for Isaac and Rebecca? He married foreigners. What was it so important to Abraham that he made his servants? You must swear to me that Isaac must marry my relative. It is important for the people of God to marry within the people of God. Ephraim and Manasseh, they were born of an Egyptian woman. If you go back to Genesis 41, Joseph called Manasseh Manasseh because it means I have forgotten the sorrows. God has made me forget the sorrows of my father's house. And then Ephraim means fruitful. God has made me fruitful in the land of affliction. If you teach your little boys and your little girls to be faithful and to work hard like Joseph, so that you may become prosperous, as Joseph in the land of Egypt. You miss the whole point of the narration of Joseph. It's not about working hard or being faithful so much, so that God will bless you abundantly, and therefore that's the end. No, The prosperity of Joseph is the means. It's the means by which God will use to preserve his people, therefore Joseph called the land of Egypt, the land of my affliction, because it is not the promised land. The promised land is the land of Canaan. Therefore, it's extremely didactic for us to see how Jacob, now the patriarch, is proposing to adopt the foreign sons into his family. And then verse six. The children that you father after them shall be yours they shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. This means to us that Jacob is now making Joseph the firstborn within the family because he's giving Joseph a double portion. Do we understand this? Because uh, within the nation of of Israel later, there will not be a tribe of Joseph, but there will be two tribes, two clans, Ephraim and Manasseh which will come after Joseph so Joseph is receiving a double portion but think about this um, what does it mean when he said that uh, the sons that will be born after you will be what is it called will be called by the names of their brothers this means that whatever sons you have afterward Joseph they will be counted into the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Verse seven, as for me, when I came from Panhand to my sorrow Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Beth- Bethlehem. Jacob is saying to Joseph, in the same way that your beloved mother, was giving me two sons, you and Benjamin, as I was entering into the land of Canaan, I would like for you to give me two sons, as my people one day will go back to Canaan. Verse eight, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons, whom God has given me here. Look at the attitude that Joseph has toward his sons he is not ashamed of them he is not ashamed of their heritage he's not ashamed by the fact that this is not a desirable circumstance yes sins has consequences yes many ugly things might happen and it might seem like the plan of god is being destroyed but joseph knows that god is faithful to preserve his people through all of that yes this is not true and that i have within the promised land Yes, they're not supposedly the promised offspring that I should have. Nevertheless, these are the sons that God, the God of this covenant, has given me here in the non-promised land. But now look at um, the attitude that Jacob has for his two uh, adopted sons. Jacob said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dimmed with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. We see that Jacob is now in the same position as his father was, just as Isaac um, having very weak vision, yet having two blessed two sons. But this time there is no arbitrary preference. He's saying, bring both of them to me that I may kiss them, that I may embrace them, that I may love them, that I may bless them, that I may make them my people. How are we to learn of this? This is beautiful. This is revealing to us that God since the very beginning has had the intention of showing the nation to him, even Egyptian sons. This is the same way that Jacob is embracing and kissing Ephraim and Manasseh ought to be how we think, how God is treating us Gentiles. That He would say, Bring them to me that I may hug them and embrace them and bless them and make them my people. One of my most favorite verses uh, from the Old Testament, Hosea 1, verse 10, which I would say is my life verse, says this. And I think about this every single time I think about my home country, Vietnam. Hosea 1, 10 is a promise from God. He said, To a Place where people are called not my people, they will one day be called sons of the living God. Amen. Are we not to expect many Ephraim and Manasseh to come into our family? Missionaries, rise up! We are to. This is beautiful. That ever since Genesis forty-eight, Jacob could have said, "Go away! These are not my sons. They are born in the not promised land." but he's saying, bring them to me please that I may kiss them and embrace them. Praise God. And oh man, verse 11, and Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. This is as if Jacob just taking a step back from being a prophet and just being a father a believer, to a fellow believer, to, to Joseph. He's saying this. Yes, I'm blessing you. Yes, I know the future. Yes, I know that God is faithful. But I must confess to you, Joseph. I, I must reveal to you my insecurity for all these years. I never expected to even see your face. Yet God has allowed me to see your offspring also. Is this not you, Christians? that you would say this to God often, that you have been quick to doubt Him, to unkindly not trust the promises of God, that you would say, I never expect my parents to be safe. I never expect my siblings, my family, my friends to be safe," as if God has not promised you that I will make for myself a people. Why should you not expect your family to be safe? Why should you not expect your whole country to be safe? Did God not tell you, Jacob, that I will make a people out of you that from you nations will be blessed, that there will be a land? But yet, just like Jacob, we often say, I never expect this thing to happen. Behold, God has allowed me to see your offspring also. Believers, when did you start, when did you stop expecting good things from God who told you to lose hope. God has hope for you, but you would not hope for yourself. And now is the attitude of the son Joseph toward the promise of God. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Can we not see, can we not imagine the the utter amazement that Ephraim and Manasseh would have toward this wonderful reaction? Ephraim and Manasseh their whole entire lives. They have seen the governor, Joseph. They have seen kings and emperors traveling from the ends of the earth to bow down to this man, this man who is above all men, but one man, Pharaoh, has not bowed his knee to any other man. Yet, in this tiny little room at one random evening, they are seeing for the first time their father, Joseph, slowly say, okay, son, I need you to move over here, over here, whoa, what is this doing? And then for the first time ever, seeing Joseph bowing down to the ground, to this random old dude from Canaan, saying things that seemingly naturally would not happen, except for the one fact that Joseph is believing this to be the very, the very word of God, that he is taking his father, Jacob, as a prophet. Should this not put many of you to shame, that many of us would gladly skip a Sunday sermon for a sport game, that many of us, even worse, would come into this building to listen to a sermon, to be at church, and let a silly, frivolous text to take us away to the ends of the earth. May it never be. May we be quick to bow down to the promises of God, to see the solemnity and the privilege of listening to the word of God being proclaimed. One of the many things, no, one thing that totally destroyed me as a young believer was to come to church and see hypocrites scrolling through their phones doing sermons, that destroyed me. Because for me to think that I'm from a country where people would grow up and die without ever hearing the gospel, and now it has bestowed upon me the privilege to listen to the word of God. And then I see the same people who would go out on Thursday and Friday telling all the people, you must believe in our God. And yes, the same people would not listen to the same God that they proclaim to believe on Sunday, that they would not be quick to listen. And they would say, oh, I have businesses that I have to take care of. It's okay if I just go out and make a phone call. Stow your phone away. Do you honestly think that you are busier than Joseph, the governor, who takes care of the business of the whole entire world, if not at this moment Egypt being extremely prosperous? You think he's not busier than you? But yet he took the time to listen to this old man from Canaan concerning things that he already knew because some of you, I know what you would say. I know the text from the sermon already. It's fine if I skip it. Well, Joseph knew the text. Abraham has been telling his family since the beginning that there will be a land and a people. But yet, he bowed out. He bowed out to the promises of God. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn, and he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd, all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on, the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. He took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his fathers, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your watch hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day. So essentially, Joseph having two sons. The older one, Manasseh, is being putting forward toward uh, Jacob's uh, right hand to receive the favor position. And then the younger one, Ephraim, is being uh, positioned into his left hand. Just Jacob said none of that. And he crossed his arms and he does this. This is the topic of man's expectation and God's predestination. Joseph. Why are you complaining? Have you not learned how God often works? That he would often pick the younger Jacob over the older Esau. That he would pick you, Joseph, the youngest among all your brothers and lift you up. That he would pick the youngest boy from Jesse, David, to be king. That he would pick you, Christians, to be his. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, come on believers, brethren, many of you are not of noble birth. Many of you are not wise. Many of you are not great and strong according to the word. You are weak. He chose you despite of you. He chose you because he loves you. Jesus himself said the first shall be last. And he said in Matthew 11, I give thanks to you, my father that you have hidden these things, you have hidden this message of the gospel from the Pharisees, from the strong and the understanding, from the wise, and yet you have revealed this to little children. God has been in the business of picking the weak, the seemingly unable, the seemingly, yes, the undeserving, the definitely undeserving. Now I want us to um, look at Verse 15 and 16 concerning the promise, the blessing to the boys. Look at the first half of it. There is an emphasis on the God of the promise. Jacob said, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd, the angel who has redeemed me. Again, one of my favorite verses is 1 Chronicles seventeen twenty-seven, when David was giving thanks to Jehovah for the first temple. And he said, God, it is you who blessed, and therefore it will be blessed forever. You see the emphasis? It's not about the nature of the promise. It's about the nature of the God of the promise. It is God who blessed, therefore it is blessed forever. That is why it's such a comfort to me and should be to you. When Jesus said, do not be anxious, do not let your heart be troubled. It means everything because for my friend to come to me, it would be the most obnoxious thing ever for me to be dejected and to be sad. And then someone would just come and say, oh, just don't be sad. Don't worry. Or some stupid people would say everything is going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. According to who? to you, but it is such a comfort when Jesus himself said, do not be anxious. This is the same being who created the universe. It is such a joy when he said, do not let your hearts be troubled because I have a promise to you. I will bring you to myself. You can trust me. You can trust him, dear Christians, because of who he is. The God of Jacob, of Abraham, of Isaac, It's yours. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the boys. Thus, verse 20, he put Ephraim before Manasseh. This became a reality. Ephraim later on became such a big uh, drive within the community of Israel that uh, many times in the Old Testament, instead of calling Israel, Israel, Uh, the northern kingdom would be referred as Ephraim. Then, Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Again, affirming the promise. I know you, I know how some of you are thinking. You are thinking, well, Damien, but it's not the same because if only God would give me such specific blessing, such specific promise concerning my life. It would have been a lot easier for me to to trust him, to believe him. Are you serious? It's the exact same thing. You are getting the exact same specific promise in the New Testament. Jacob was promised a people and a land. Well, look at this again. God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Is that not the same thing that Jesus said in John 14? I will go and prepare a place for you and I will come again and I will bring you to me. Where I am, you will be also. Did he not promise a people for us that there will be people from the east and from the west reclining at Abraham's table? Did he not promise that the harvest is plentiful? Did he not promise in Revelations that there will be a multitude of people from all tribes and all tongues and all these people will bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Is there not a people to look forward to? And is there not a land to look forward to? The meek shall inherit the earth. We are looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth. We have specific promises to us. The problem is, this is what you want to hear. Some of you want to hear. Well, God has promised uh, for you to pick this specific career path. God has promised for you to marry such and such a person. God has promised for you to go to this specific school. You see the problem with that? Flash news. The promises of God are not about you. Well, but but Abraham was promised a land. Did Abraham get to enjoy the land at all? Did Moses himself get to enjoy the promised land at all? You think it would have been more fun for Moses to just stay in, you know, Egypt and living his Egyptian life than to travel in the wilderness for 40 years? Did Jacob get to enjoy the land of Canaan much? Would have not been better for Joseph to just, you know, live his best life now in Egypt? The promises of God are for those who are seeking to advance a kingdom. If you bank your hope on God's mission, well, the promises are for you. You You will be 100% successful. Whatever you do, you will be successful if all that you do is for the advancement of his kingdom and for his mission. Some of, some of you still don't believe me, but you will believe Jesus when he said in Matthew six thirty-three, seek first the, the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. He promised us a lot of things. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Your business is to love him. His business is to bless you. That sounds like a pretty good deal. But let's go back to our text. Jacob is saying, behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Jacob is saying to Joseph, dear Joseph, don't be afraid. I'm going to die. My fleshly body is weak but my God is strong and he will surely bring you home. He will surely bring you home. Moreover, verse 22, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Jacob is saying again, I am making you my firstborn and I already secure for you a land within the land of Canaan. There are many interpretations concerning uh, this text because Uh, there is no recording within the Bible when did Jacob attend this piece of land except for the one time where Simeon and Levi slaughtered a bunch of people in the land of Shechem. So I don't know if that counted or not. There are many interpretations, but I will give you my humble, yet correct opinion on this. Because he's using a past tense. He said, I took the land of the Amorites," even though he has not yet done it. Later on the Israel actually would be taking this land I believe this is Jacob again speaking within the realm of prophecy of assurance blessed assurance that he knows the same way that Paul was using this this language in Romans chapter 8 he said those whom he predestined he called those whom he called he justified and those whom he justified he glorified ed glorified in the past Well, none of us are glorified yet, but yet Paul was using past tense because he was so sure of the promise of God. He was so sure of that reality that he spoke as if it had happened already in the mind of God. I believe Jacob is doing the same thing. Yeah, we're not there yet, but I took for you a land already. Be sure of that. Be sure of that. Christians, I must comfort you. So let's go with me. John 14 and listen to the rest of what Jesus had to say concerning our new test, new Testament promise. Verse three, if I go and prepare a place for you again, a land, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know, the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? I'm am so thankful for, for Thomas because, long as we all feel that way on our pilgrimage, that yes, the Lord promises many good things, and there's so many hopeful things to look forward to. But sometimes when we look at ourselves and our circumstances, that Father, it's, it's, it's hard to to hope because hope is so easy, it's so slippery, it's so. I'm so prone to lose hope. I'm so prone to just wander and I I don't know the way. Help me. Because just like Jacob, we are prone to look at our present circumstances in light of the promise of God, instead of looking at God in light of the promise of God. But again, you need to be convinced by Jesus. So let's read what Jesus had to say. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. Did Thomas, Thomas said, I don't know the way. Jesus said, I am the way stick to me. If Mr. Matt this morning, what you tell me, Damien, I'm going to take you out for lunch. What would be the best course of action for me to do to stick with him the whole entire morning, all the way to lunch. I'm just going to sit right next to him doing the sermon said, so, Mr. Matt, we got to go. When are we going? Where are we going? You must stick with the person who gave you the promise in order to attend the promise. Stop looking at your present circumstances. That's what Jacob said, "I never expected to even see your face, because he was so busy looking at, at all the messiness in his life, instead uh, the God Almighty that appeared to him in battle. Paul, again, being the opposite of, of uh, Jacob, in Philippians chapter one verse 20, he said, "With eager expectation and earnest hope. I know I am of full assurance that Jesus Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by my life or by my death. Believers, brothers and sisters, you can hope in God. You can trust Him. And non believers, I hope that you are here in this room this morning. You would be, how should I liken you? You would be like the Egyptians standing outside of the chamber of Jacob listening in to the promises of God. And you would be quick to scoff. You would laugh at us You say, look at this stupid old man talking about things that he has no control over. Looking at this governor, we think he's so great, but now he's he's bowing down to all this superstition. There's no promises. They're not going to inherit any land. You have the same attitude. Toward us even today. There's no heaven to wait for. This is all we have. What are you talking about? Nations will come to Jesus Christ? You are fools. No. Egyptians, non-believers, you are fools. Because one day, our Moses will come and bring us home again. And on that day, you will be swallowed up in the ocean of the anger of Jehovah but yet you can even now bow down to the promises of God. And we would gladly bring you in as our Ephraim and our Manasseh bow down to the promises of God. May we do that today and forevermore. Let's pray. Dear father, we thank you so much for your tender mercies and we thank you for your loving kindness. And we confess that we have been so quick to forget your promises. We have been quick to forget your goodness and your kindness and all that you have dealt toward us. And we've been quick to despair. We have been quick to lose faith. We have been quick to look at ourselves and this present age instead of the age that is to come instead of the land that we are about to inherit. Soon, you will come home. You will come here and take us home. So please come back soon, dear Lord Jesus, and help us to cling to you, so that we may attend the promise that you have given us, that where you are, we will be also. Thank you, amen.